word for us today. It's from Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. Here is what happened. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. That's God's word. Now wait a minute. And I, on purpose, did not introduce that at all. Because I wanted you to be surprised by it. Because, wait a minute, why in the world? I thought it was Christmas coming up, not Easter. Why are we reading this about a week before Jesus rose from the dead? Shouldn't we be focusing, maybe you're thinking this, shouldn't we be focusing more on like angel choirs instead of choirs of people shouting praise to Jesus as he goes in? Like, shouldn't we be talking more about Christmas instead of Easter? So why are we? Why are we reading this? Something that seems out of place this time of year. Well, it's because right now in these weeks, the church, and by the church I mean all Christians, we're not just getting ready for Christmas. Because kind of the truth is, you don't need to get ready for Christmas. Because Christmas already happened. It's done. We just get to sit here in these weeks and revel and celebrate with all the good news, gospel truth that comes from Christmas. We don't need to get ready. It's good to prepare our hearts, don't, don't get me wrong, but we don't need to get ready for Christmas. Christmas already happened, but day in and day out, what we do need to get ready for and be ready for every day is not Jesus' first coming, but his second coming at the end of the world. And it's not just me who is saying that to you. Throughout Christianity, all over the world for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, Christians have heard during this time of year how Jesus not was born in Bethlehem, but how he rode into Jerusalem. And he rode into Jerusalem with a plan. We, I read, he sends two disciples, he says, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. And if you noticed, it happened exactly as Jesus planned it. And he planned it this way for two main reasons. First of all, he planned it this way to fulfill a prophecy that an Old Testament prophet named Zechariah had prophesied that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
That's one way. That's one reason that Jesus planned it this way. But the second reason is that he knew what all the people in Jerusalem, he knew what they were expecting. He knew what they expected their Messiah to be. They expected him to be a king who would bring his kingdom, but a kingdom just for that time. It would be like us as Christians simply thinking that God came to make America as best as it could possibly be right now and for the next 10 years or 20 years or for the next however long you live. It would be like us thinking that's what God promised to do. But that's not what God promised to do. His promises actually had nothing to do with the nation of Israel or the nation of America or any other nation. He promised to bring his kingdom in a different way. They expected the son of David to bring his great-great-great-grandfather David's throne back. And Jesus knew that's what they were expecting. And so he chose to come into Jerusalem in this way. So the question is, what are you expecting from Jesus? And what are you expecting from Christmas? Now, I hear the phrase, I hear it almost every year. I can't remember all the specific times, but I hear it almost every year. And this phrase, it demands a nuanced response. You can't just, you can't just explain it away. You can't just shake your head at it. You definitely can't scoff at it because that would be incredibly unkind. It demands a nuanced response. In the phrase, well, I'll tell you how I respond to it in the end first. I end up finally just kind of being sad about it. And the phrase is, have a Christmas. Like the parent saying about their child, I just want them to have a Christmas. Or the husband saying about his wife as he's about to go spend a ton of money on her, I just want her to have a Christmas. Or maybe a grandmother saying about all the kids, I just want all the kids to have a Christmas. Maybe, maybe you've even said it or you've heard someone else say it and now you're thinking, oh boy, what's he going to say now? I get sad though in the end. And, and by the way, I'm definitely not against presents. I'm very much for presence, pro-present pastor here, okay? And I'm for all the other things that people get joyful around Christmas time about. But when we say I want them to have a Christmas, I get sad because the person saying it is really making Christmas all about them and or they're making it all about the person to whom they're giving the present. They're making Christmas contingent on presents or on how someone receives presents. But Christmas, it's not about them. It's not about the gift giver or the gift receiver. Christmas is not contingent on anything because Christmas has nothing to do with what you do or don't get or how the person, you know, how you get excited to give gifts. My wife gets very excited to give gifts. She loves giving gifts and she doesn't like when I talk about her in a sermon. But when she gives a wonderful gift, which she does all the time, we, we all have expectations and hopes for how someone is going to respond to the gift. And Christmas does not hinge on how someone responds to your gift either, or if, if they think it was a good gift or not. Christmas is not contingent even on who you spend it with or who you don't spend it with. 
and what you're sad about or if you're lonely or anything. Christmas is not contingent on any of that. Are all those valid feelings? Oh, of course. It's totally valid that Christmas often brings with it an extra dose of sadness or loneliness depending on what loss you've gone through in the last year or the loss you went through 50 years ago. Completely valid feelings, but Christmas is not contingent on any of those things. It's not contingent, actually, on anything. Because Christmas happened, and its results are completely certain. Because 33 years before Jesus showed up outside of Jerusalem riding on a donkey, Jesus showed up not in mighty Jerusalem, but in lowly Bethlehem. And there, too, it appeared like no one had made any sort of plans for him to come. There wasn't even a room in the inn. There was no one when he was born. There was no birth announcement. It was only after that, when angels from heaven swooped in and had to tell some, some nobody shepherds out in the field, hey, you know this big thing happened? Jesus was born in a very humble way. And by humble here, I mean lowly. But also, as we heard last week, humility, it doesn't just mean lowly. It can also mean something completely different, something, something more. And we got to think about that today too. In verse 33, when the disciples encountered the cult's owners, the owners, rightly so, raised questions about what was confiscation of their property. And you know what the Lord said, what Jesus said to them. Tell them, the Lord needs it. Now Luke, actually, if you look at the original language it was written in, he doesn't technically call the owners owners. He calls them the lords of the cult. The exact same word that he uses to describe Jesus. So Luke is literally saying, hey, if the lords of the cult ask, why are you taking our animal? Tell them, the Lord needs it. You get the emphasis. Luke is saying, Jesus' ownership of that cult, Jesus' in-chargeness, it goes above and beyond any, any ownership that those people might have. Jesus is in control. And yet here's where humility comes in. Because the Lord Jesus, who has control over everything, even all these little details of prophecies hundreds of years old, the Lord never lords his control over you. He never makes it about himself. And this is humility. He never makes it about himself. He always makes it for you. Because Jesus' goal at Christmas, and with his whole life long, it was to bring you peace. Now, did you know that all four biographers of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them record the, not the Christmas story, all four of them record Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But Luke is the only one who records this little part. He's the only one who records the crowds shouting, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And when you hear those, if you're thinking, hmm, those sound a little bit familiar, you'd be right. Because guess who's the only one who records a different thing? Luke is the only one who records at Christmas this. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Luke is telling us, Jesus came in humility, not thinking about himself, but thinking for you and about you. Why? To give us peace. And what is the peace that only Jesus can bring, what does that mean? 
It means that the greatest danger to us, it's not terrorism or taxes or loneliness or stress or being too busy at this time of year. It's not even grave illnesses. It's not mental unhealth. It's not anything else that we struggle with. The greatest danger to us, because this is the peace Jesus brings, the greatest danger to us is sin. Sin that we've done in the past, and to be honest, sin that I choose every single day. And you do too. Because the Bible says that sin, it doesn't just make us sad or harm us around the holiday season, or even for the rest of our lives. It says that sin, if left unforgiven, it separates us from God far more longer lasting. It separates us from God forever. Sin, the Bible says, makes us enemies with God, which you could also say then means that sin is the declaration that we are at war with God. And so what we need most of all is someone to come and proclaim that that war is done. And that is what Jesus did when he rode into Jerusalem. That is what he came to this world to do. He came to proclaim peace, peace between heaven and earth. Not between nations, not between political parties, or between people who disagree. He came to proclaim peace between heaven and earth, between God and humankind. And the fact that he brought a foal, a colt, on Palm Sunday, it proves it. You know why? It was a tradition in the ancient Near East. A king would not always ride around his city or his nation on a mature war horse. He would sometimes, except for a certain time. When he was preparing for war, yeah, he'd ride around on a big, mighty horse, even if he wasn't at war. But sometimes, a king would ride around on a foal or a colt or a mule it's what David had his son Solomon do when he was anointed to be king in 1 Kings chapter 1. He would ride around on a colt or a foal or a mule to say, there's no war going on right now. I don't need to have my war horse out and neither do you because there's no war. There is peace. We are in peacetime. And that is why Jesus, that is why Jesus chose to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, not on a horse, it wasn't just because he was being lowly. No, it was because he was announcing, you are not at war with God. And you know the crazy thing? He technically did it even before the war was over. He did it when opposition to him in Jerusalem was at its very highest and it would peak four to five days later when he was arrested and crucified. But he's announcing peace now. He did it before he died, before he rose from the dead. Why? Because that's how certain it is that Jesus has truly won you peace and he has truly ended the war. Even though it wasn't done in space and time, Jesus was saying it is a sure thing. Sin and death and the devil, they have lost, they will always lose, and you will always be the victors because I'm here to announce that peace is yours. Because I'm not here on a horse. I'm here on a beast of burden. And I'm going to bear the burdens of the entire world, especially the one burden you can for sure never overcome on your own, the burden of your sin. That's why. That's why we're looking at Palm Sunday, which seems out of place on a day like today, less than three weeks 
from Christmas. Now, I said it, I said it before. I'll say it again. I am not anti-presents. I'm not anti-family and friends. I'm not anti all the other kind of extra things that come in and make Christmas part of what it is, especially in our country. But don't ever let Christmas be contingent on any of those things. Because Christmas isn't contingent on everything. It happened. It happened. It's done. And you and I, we just get to celebrate it. So when you think about Christmas, you're ready. You're ready for it to be here because it already happened. And as you think about Jesus coming at the end of time, guess what? You're ready for that too because Jesus came in humility, not making it about himself, but always thinking about you. And he came not on a horse, he came on a donkey because he was saying, the war is over, I have won, which means you're the victors. So you're ready now and forever. Amen.